0: This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? Yep. All right. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. And before we get into it with my close friend, my great friend, Jesse Savage, let's talk about our sponsors number one is Axe Wax Axe Wax is all natural food safe wax for your axe for your wood for your steel for your carbon for your leather anything that needs some conditioning Axe Wax is for you and if you go to axwax.us, put in promo code fullblast10 you're going to get 10% off all of your Axe Wax it's dynamite stuff I love Axe Wax I gotta get some more I'm going to buy some more, P.S., and I'm going to use Axe Wax. I'm going to use Full Blast 10 when I go to Axe Wax. US. But if you're not in the United States and you're in the U.K., go to ukknifesupplies.com. Toby's going to take Full Blast 10. If you're in the E.U., Keith Colby over at knifematerial.at, he's going to take Full Blast 10. Shout-out to Keith. He sent me some Apex Ultra. You're the man. I appreciate it. Uh, if you're in Australia, you got two places to go. GammaCo, that's artisansupply.com.au. They are, they're taking Full Blast 10 for Axe Wax. And if you're in Australia, too... NordicEdge.com.au is is taking care of us with Full Blast 10. And they sent me a beautiful file guide. Once again, thank you to Sausage Man, Forge, and all the guys down at NordicEdge.com. I appreciate you. Uh, get yourself some Axe Wax. Just give it a try. See what you think. It's And with uh, 10% off, what's the big deal? Next is Total Boat. TotalBoat.com. They make adhesives, paints, primers, and polishing compounds and other things. They started out making stuff for boaters and DIYers, and they realized the maker community could benefit from all their two-part epoxies and all their adhesives and all that stuff. And I use their uh, high-performance two-part epoxy for handle scales. I think it's great stuff. If you're a knife maker, they make great stuff. And when you use their pump system, it's very intuitive. So you're not like for one knife, you're doing a couple pumps and you end up with a quart of epoxy and nothing to do with. you. It's very intuitive and I, I think that it's great stuff. Um, if you go to Total boat.com you put in promo code full blast 10 you're going to get 10 percent off all of your total boat stuff and i would suggest definitely getting some guy sent me a message saying is this the stuff you use and it was a picture of the uv cure clear resin and i said that's the stuff i love and it's this it's this one part uh, epoxy or i don't know if it's an I guess it's, no, it's not, a, it's a resin. And you put it in like a little hole if you're a knife maker and you got one of the little knot holes, tiny little knot holes you want to fill up. You put it in there, you get out the UV uh, flashlight and give it a little push, and 10 seconds later, your heart is a rock. It's great stuff, and I'm very impressed by it. And if you don't trust me, go trust Keith Decent, Keith uh, Derek from Malden, Keith Johnson. Shout out to Shop Sounds. Got a shout out on Shop Sounds. I'm with you guys. Shop Sounds great, another great podcast. Keith Mitchell, our friend, uh, Shipwright Skills. He's using Total Boat. Uh, Jimmy Duras is using Total Boat. And if you once again go to get some Total Boat, try it out. Get a little bit of it. See what you think. It's great stuff for knife makers and makers and, and uh, if you any kind of any kind of adhesion, abrasives, primers. Get yourself some of that. If it's good enough for a boat, it's good enough for you, right? Uh, Pull Blast Ten for ten percent off of Total Boat. All right. Just got off the phone with my boys at Trojan Horse Forge, and my new stable rail knife finishing vice is on the way. I cannot wait. I need two because we're so busy. I'm using this thing so much that every time I use the stable rail knife finishing vice, every one of my knives goes on it Twice. Always for hand sanding and then handle finishing. And if you go to uh, Trojan Horse com, you can get yourself one of them knife finishing vices, and it's awesome. It isn't just for the handles. This plate allows you to hold your knives down, tang side in the vise, and then there's rubber gaskets and there's rubber padding, and then there's. It, it, you can move it all over the place. You can get it exactly where you want it if you have a knife that that uh, is not just flat and maybe a knife that has distal taper integral bolster or a uh, cr- or something curved it's going to take care of you they've figured it out the guys at trojan horse forge figured out exactly what you need and if you go to trojanhorseforge.com and put in the promo code full blast when you buy yourself one of their vices You're going to get free shipping in the United States. It's definitely a a super high level vice. Guys like uh, Neil Kamamore is using them, Mareko's using them, Will Stelter's using them, Ben is using them, I'm using them. uh, Jason Knight, he's using them. They have they have a, they have. A, they have a, they're stacked with people who are using them. And we all, we all threw our two x fours away. Two x fours are away. Not using two x fours anymore. We're using the knife finishing vice, stable rail knife finishing vice from Trojan Horse Forge. Go check it out. If you don't believe me, go check it out. Like, this this thing. When this thing shipped, it came in a bomb proof case. A bomb proof case. This thing looked like. I mean, it was like I was waiting for the Secret Service to bring it in, handcuffed to their wrist. It is dynamite. They they think of everything, and they even laser engraved my name on it which was the fader knives name on it which was real nice of them so go get yourself some of that trojan horse forge full blast 10 gets you full blast full blast gets you free shipping united states so i appreciate it and last but not least i want to thank maritime knife supply that's Supply.ca for all your knife making needs belts abrasive steels kilns forges presses heat treating ovens Ovens, anvils, everything you need to get started or resupply, including Axe Wax. And if you're a stabilizing guy, he just got a pile. Lawrence just got a pile of uh, um, cactus juice. So if you're getting into knife making and you want to learn the stabilizing, he's got everything you need. So go to MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca. Definitely get yourself 10% off. Your abrasive belts. of packs of 10. When you get 10, you get 10% off. Uh, they have TR Maker Equipment. They have Dr. Laren Thomas's must-have book knife engineering. It's a the, And if you're in the United States and you're thinking, oh, what do I need to buy from Canada? Well, it's just as fast, and it's just as good a price and competitive, and it gets to you when you need it. Um, and I'm impressed with Lawrence and everything he's doing. He's super involved in the knife-making world. He's super involved in the... Um, Podcasting world, and I certainly appreciate everything he's doing. So go get yourself some. Just try it out. See what there, see what's going. He's making coffee too. He get some get yourself some rising grind coffee. It's delicious. Get yourself anything you if you. And I would suggest if there's something that you like, mold polishing stones on Knife Talk. We're talking about mold polishing stones. He got him. He every time I say something on Knife Talker on this, he'll shoot me a message saying, "I got that. I got that. He got steel. He's got everything you need." And I'm sure that if there's something that you want give him a suggestion i'm sure he's fast enough to get it too so go get yourself some that night maritime knife supply dot ca get yourself some get yourself restocked from a maker who's doing making it happen okay everybody go thank you very much for the sponsors i want to thank Uh, everybody here, and I especially listening, and I especially want to thank my next guest. Jesse Savage is a very good friend of mine. He and I have been chatting it up for quite a long time. We met on Instagram. We became fast friends, and I'm grateful to have you here, Jesse. How are you?
1: Very good. How are you?
0: Good. I like to talk to you a lot, and one of the things, a lot of it is because you and I are very close in age, and I feel like we have that we have a lot of like two months apart or whatever yeah a month or two apart and we have like a lot of like kind of similar you know opinions in regards to things based on our age yeah Yeah. absolutely
1: um i wanted to say today too um i know you talked about it when jimmy was on but it is we're recording on september 11th
0: yeah Um, i was gonna kind of make a note of that uh towards the end but yeah, okay Something that uh, I forgot that I talked about with Jesse with Jimmy about that. that was a pretty intense episode. It was yeah, that was really intense. It was it was interesting. Yeah yeah, nine eleven's a tough time. Uh, it's it's a, it's something that I never forget. And uh, actually, you know, now that we're bringing it up, um, I think about guys like uh, our friend Alan Kerboy. Yeah, um, that's what
1: I was just. It reminded me this morning because he posted his pictures from.
0: Lucky was, Nail Blacksmith was a uh, police officer. I think he was in Massachusetts, and he was one of the guys, I think so. He was in Massachusetts.
1: He uh, he ended in Mass. I don't know if he was working for New York when he was there. Well, he was down at the pile.
0: The pile yeah, is no, what, I know. You know the the. Uh, actually, I have a few. I have a f- back. You know, I've told the nine eleven, my nine eleven story a million times, and and uh, the after the. After the 9-11, I remember the... We, uh, my, I'm already getting the goosebumps. Anytime I talk about 9-11, I have this, like... I have these physical reactions. It's bizarre. Like, I yeah. have, like, goosebumps yeah. just even mentioning it. And um, it's, it is it is kind of a hard time. It's something I can't ever forget. My wife and I talk about it a lot because we were together in the city during that time. But, uh, right. you know, after 9-11, during the... the, uh, during the uh, I mean... It, it, be, it went from a search and rescue to a, just a, you know, recovery mission. And, and um, it was, there was a lot of uh, police officers and firefighters and EMT workers who came down to New York to help. And yeah. Alan was one of those guys. And um, I think about a lot of those guys because actually at the time, after 9-11, I started working for this restaurant, Alva. And I actually have the sign. Uh, in my shop. It's an Alva Restaurant a bar. and Bar. That's, that's where I really kind of befriended my business partner, Tony, and, and my good friend, Scotty, who was the chef. And at the time, you know, the weeks after 9-11, the weeks to months after 9-11, there, you couldn't go down past 14, Canal Street, 14th Street or something. And there was, a, they started to like, you know, people would bring stuff and I know in the episode I have with jimmy he he and the he and the guys he were working for went to home depot bought a bought a pile of water and supplies and went down to the pile and kind of handed stuff out and trying to be helpful and I remember that after the months leading after nine eleven when I was running Alva, we were working for Charlie Palmer, who I talk about all the time he's my chef he's i he's we're friends we're good friends he's a mentor of sorts um and I just remember when after 9-11 we had a big meeting for all the restaurants and he said when firefighters come in they don't get a bill that's it they don't get a bill so there's a famous photograph so we had tons and we were on 22nd street so it wasn't very far from we had highway patrol officers coming in I had some highway patrol officers coming in we had firefighters coming in EMT workers coming in and we were feeding them and we were making them well, have, sending them drinks and we were giving them bills and um the three guys who were in that famous uh, image where they're hoisting the three firefighters who are hoisting the flag down at the pile, they came into the restaurant. We didn't know about that picture. And then a picture had been put up. I think it was in the, probably in the post and the daily news or something like that. And they had come in and we were talking to them for a while and making sure they were, you know, taken care of. And, and um, it's, it's, it's still one of those things. That, I mean, 21 years, 21 years, from already and it's it's still, it's still, it's still very fresh in my mind. And it's, uh, you know, shout out to the firefighters, EMT workers, police officers, military, anybody who, who dedicated and gave away their, their freedoms and who were there for the, for people. And they gave away their physicality. They gave away some of their, probably a lot of, you know, mental the mental traumas and stuff like that. I, I, I just, and I know a lot of those guys, first frontline workers and everything, listen to this. And I want to tell you how much, how grateful I am to you, the things that you do on a daily basis. And that's it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if anybody out there doesn't follow well, well, Lucky Nails Blacksmith, he's worth following.
0: Yeah, great blacksmith, great guy. He and I chalked, he, he, we had a very funny conversation. I got a, I bought a swage block off him years ago. And he came up, and I got to see his his moose. He is his, uh his donkey moose, and you know he's a good guy. And he was down there, and we had some really good conversations. But it was very like somber too. You know, I, I can't can't not be somber. I mean, it's right. I meet guys. I talk to guys, and I have said this before. I don't know if I said it to you, but I've I've talked to guys, knife makers, who have beards. We're like these are men. These are like <laughs> men. <laughs> <laughs> and they and when they tell me when they have anybody got you got a beard on I'm calling you a man I don't it doesn't matter how old you are these dudes with beards who are telling me they were you know in kindergarten during nine eleven or they were in like you know third grade I was at least seven I was talking to uh uh I think it was uh, uh was uh who cares who it was but it was like this guy who's got a beard on he was just like oh. Wow, I was I was only six during nine eleven. I'm just like, get off my yeah, phone. Yeah, it's crazy. Get off my phone. That's <laughs> what Lucky Nail
1: said on that post. Was it's so interesting that there's been a g- generation of people that have come up after? Yeah, you know that incident happened like that. It, it's it is shocking because in a lot shocking. of ways it it does seem like yesterday that it happened.
0: It um, does, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. that was like, I mean, that was like something that is. I mean. What's interesting is, is, and we're just gonna see how good we can do, how good we are at pivoting. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of generational amnesia to a certain degree, and I'm not saying I'm not belittling current yeah. generations that'll remember, but there are, there are things that obviously generations grow out of. I mean, my dad signed up for the army the day after Pearl Harbor, and he would walk around the city on Pearl Harbor Day. Yeah. And like, he would say, "I'll never forget." He said, "I'll never forget it." And he's in it. "People don't people don't realize what that was like as being an American, and having the United States attacked like that." And he, you know, he forged his mom's signature. His mom didn't want him to go. She was a conscious objector. Right. He did it anyway. He and his brother went served against the will of their their parents. Yeah. And um, but there is this there. You can tell that there are these generational. You know, it's like you weren't there. You weren't, how would you know? How would you remember it?
1: No, I know. I mean, that's the one thing about 9-11 is like, I think everybody, at least our age group can remember exactly where you were when it happened. And like, you know, I remember being on the phone with my brother and, um, it's just that
0: like, it like burned into your memory. There were some there, I mean, once again, the goosebumps are coming up. There's some, there's some moments of real terror and the, besides the exact thing, and a lot of the terror was all over the country because people were trying to find their family in, mm-hmm. uh, in New York. And I remember my dad trying to get a hold of me. He didn't know where I was. And, you know, there was no cell service. We couldn't, couldn't figure it out. And I don't even know if we had it. I think we had a cell phone, but it was like, for some reason, we couldn't get it. And there was, like, there was these real moments of terror of, are, are, is my kid okay? Is Are my family, is my family okay? And I'll... Ah, we don't have to get into this. It's going to get me fucking fired up. But if you... It, what's interesting about the the idea of this generational forgetfulness, not forgetfulness, but just not being there, is just talking about, you know, we were... You and I talk about forging and blacksmithing as a as a craft. Right. As a generational craft. And you and I both were instructors at, at Center for Metal Arts. You just got back from your class with... uh
1: I did. Like I was there two weeks before you.
0: Tell me about. Tell
1: me all about it. Um. Actually, this time, well, from Vermont, it's it's like I don't know. I think it's like an eight-hour drive on the map if you didn't stop for gas or coffee or anything. Um. But it always takes me probably nine and a half hours to get there. Wow. Um. But you know, I'm not in a huge push either. But so I finally wanted to leave the day before and um. We went to Niagara Falls and spent a night there, which was really cool. And then I, f- I jumped jumped in the car the next morning. Well, first of all, I mean, Niagara was crazy. So I said to my wife, Carrie, that I was like, I'm going to jump up first thing in the morning. We're going to cover like the whole island where you can see the falls and everything like at 6 a.m. before anybody's out. And that's exactly what we did. And we had the place to ourselves, which is cool. And then we jumped in, the, in my truck and followed kind of Lake Erie out in towards Pennsylvania towards, uh, the town of Erie. And then, um, took a left-hand turn down towards Johnstown and, uh, um, we're bombing these old back roads, um, through Pennsylvania. And all of a sudden Carrie yells out like, Hey button, Hey button. And I was like, what? And I turned the truck around on this like little back road. And, uh, I could see through the bushes in this guy's garden that there was like this 300 pound hay button just sitting on a log. Whoa! Yeah, it gave me the chill. So, like, I kept going by the house, but um, the lady next door was giving me the eye, and it was pretty beat up old place. I was a little worried I'd get shot if I went in.
0: <laughs> would so, you? Have, wait, if this was, if this, was,
1: if would this you have, was Vermont, I would have pulled in, but
0: and knocked on the door, and
1: knocked on the door. But if somebody was out in the yard, I would have stopped for sure. But just. I didn't want them to, I didn't want to pull in and start looking at the anvil and then get a shot. You
0: know, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania's.
1: <laughs> it was pretty. It was it was rural, rural. Um, you know, maybe with with Pennsylvania plates on, but I am like an out of oh, stater yeah. with
0: Vermont plates and. Well, if you're New like, York you know, plates, you're definitely it's definitely shoot first, ask questions. Yeah, exactly. Maybe so maybe you would a, have had a, maybe you would have had one just right across the bow and to yeah, worry too much about that's,
1: it. That's true. But anyway, so we kicked down through. All these like little small towns, which is a cool area to see because I hadn't seen that part of um usually you're just on highways going to Johnstown, but we got into uh Johnstown that Friday afternoon, and um usually there's always instructors or classes going on before, so I get to hang out with you know whoever is leaving and the students or whatever, but there was nothing um going on, so it was just uh Pat and um his girlfriend Aaron, and then we you know went to dinner and um, the next day we did our usual bottle opener class, which is cool. Um, that was fun. But the new, the new one that we started this year, which we taught for the first time in the spring was the fire poker class. Right. Um, that's amazing. And it's like, it seems like the bottle openers are kind of a harder concept for these are brand new people, never blacksmith before. Um, a bottle opener is a lot harder to make. So, well, because these, you have to use tongs, they yeah, you have to use. T- I mean, it's hard like to punch a hole is is difficult the first time you do it, right? And then understanding kind of the concepts of drifting and what you're doing, and um, you are taking all these heats in a gas forge, and yeah, um, I, I feel like there's a lot. There's a lot going on in a bottle opener, but the you know the fire poker is you. You got three eight square. You know, you're forging tapers, you're doing scrolls, and then we do um second part of the class, like Jordan um, uh was able to help us with uh the forge weld demonstration, which he was awesome with.
0: How great is Jordan?
1: He's he's brilliant and what a huge help he's been these two times. He's the latest intern at uh Center for Metal
0: Arts. He's he was so fun. We had such a good time with him and yeah. he's Outstanding. Jordan Outstanding. was content. I don't yeah, want to yeah. interrupt. Keep on under- I'm sorry for interrupting.
1: No, yeah, he went to Hereford in England. Um, so he a very good blacksmith. But it's crazy with these new people. You think seems simple. You draw a taper, you're making a fire poker and you're bending it a bunch of different ways and a scroll and then you bend the handle. But a man can people get themselves like into crazy situations you gotta get them out of. And there's like if you got eight students and like eight people kind of like going into like areas they need help with you almost need like it's like thank god there's like me carrie and jordan like right. on all these people because it's like it's so hands-on that like every time i finish that class i'm like i have to sit down i'm like oh my god i'm completely exhausted that was like so
0: much fun but I bet um, one of the big i bet one of the big things is people get too much of the too much of the bar hot
1: it Yeah, it's that and just not knowing, you know, it's all that new stuff where you bend something and you don't know how to like, how to get yourself out of that situation. Right. I mean, Kinda I isolate. think, yeah, most of blacksmithing is, is learning how to fix your mistakes, you know? And yeah. I mean, I feel like that was the big thing when I started like um, at Vermont Forging's that I remember making things and. Walking over to him, like I can't make it straight. Like I, right. I don't know what to do. Any, you know. And I remember Kevin saying to me, he's like, "There's going to be a time when I'm not here. You're going to have to learn to fix these problems." Right. And um, but I think that just takes time, you know, for St- figuring out how to get yourself out of those corners.
0: Straightening a al- I mean, aligning something after mm-hmm. you forged it is one of those things that it's not. It is one of those things that that makes it more less of a craft and more of a finesse thing. Yes, because there are things that you cannot teach. You know how to hold it so there's you know you're you're hitting the the top of the bow, but not too hard. And you're just trying to drive it in, and then you're flipping it around, and you're looking down the barrel and seeing where you have to hold it on the anvil. It's not like put hold it on forty five degrees, hit it halfway off, halfway on. You Mm -hmm. know, there's not it's it's not. There's a lot of that kind of finesse stuff that you just kind of have to know.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And that's what makes it this kind of beautiful performative thing that you can't, it's hard to teach.
1: Yeah. Now I think with that fire poker class though, if I think we're going to do it next year, two different times, if anybody's interested. Um, but like, you know, we, we run the power hammers and like, we just, it's kind of full exposure. Um, to blacksmithing in a different way that the bottle opener is. So it's yeah. like, it's exciting to teach that class and it's, it's exciting to do. And I, I mean, I love blacksmithing, but, um, I think my, one of my favorite things about blacksmithing for sure is teaching like brand new people to it, exposing them to it because, um, you know, when it does grab, you could tell when it grabs a hold of some people, they're just blown away by it. And, yeah. You know, and all the things they want to do with it. Um, it's it that's a cool class to
0: take i think what's interesting to me is that you and i are both fall into the same category in terms of like we're like i call us the guys who you know try to open the door for someone you know we're doing the stuff that gets people i want to be the guy who i don't need to be the best guy i don't feel the need to be ranked i want to get people into it and i want to get people into it in a way that they're just like let's just do this again or let's do something like this again so I'm totally, I think that you and I are in the same boat in terms of just like, we're just trying to get people exposed. Yeah. And that's one of the best parts of it. That's yeah. one of the best parts of it.
1: I was walking through um, our local like arts um, gallery, Chaffee Art Center, has, uh, they do like art in the park twice a year and in people, vendors set up. Um, for like two days so you gotta if you do it you gotta have two days worth of volume of stuff and they they have quite a few people come through because it's right on like a major road going through town um and i'm walking through and there's this i see these like little forged twisted hooks and so there's a kid there brand new to blacksmithing like all he's got is like a railroad spike anvil if that's what he tells me and um yeah, he's got like the, you know, just all this stuff you first start to make, all the ass hooks and, the, right. you know, the little plant hangers, you know, sure. the finish isn't totally perfect and, you know, everything's like, it's it's that rudimentary, like raw um, starting point, which is a great place to be because a lot of people buy that stuff because it's it's got such a raw feel. Um, but... So I introduced myself and told him, I was like, you know, you're welcome to come over anytime you want. You're, you live around me and you're into blacksmithing, like, you know, you're welcome to come by. Um, but he, uh, so I told him like when we did the podcast, like, uh, the blacksmith's public, Stephen Bronstein's interview, I think I always refer to that interview for everybody, anybody getting into it because it's a great beginner's interview as, as far as, uh, how to start up like the first
0: to, episode that the first interview the with first, Stephen Bronstein.
1: Yeah, the first whatever number that is, they have to go through. It. But it's um yeah, he just talks about like the relationship between like wholesale and retail, um, you know, how to go about learning, you know, different places to go. But I think him being a 40 year old Smith um or a 40 year Smith in being like the only blacksmith in America that ever put on the United States postage stamp, um, what? Yeah, his his work is pretty incredible.
0: The, yeah, his, I remember. Oh, yeah, sorry, his,
1: no, his work was um, put on the United States postage stamp. Is that
0: right? Yeah, I remember when you interviewed him, and I remember. So I'm going to link this episode. I'll link the episode. To the blacksmith's pub, the Stephen Bronze scene episode. You did two of them, but the first one I remember yeah, sending you a message saying it was really, the first, really
1: great. It's good. It's great for people, anybody just starting out, or if you need to like get rejuvenated in it. Um, that episode's brilliant. He's a brilliant man who I, I loved. I try to get up and see him every year, and I haven't done it this summer.
0: But self-taught. Um, uh, he had a huge fire, burned everything down. To the, yeah,
1: shop burned to the ground. Yeah, burned to
0: the ground. It's a fascinating story. I'm don't, so we'll, I'll link it in this in the show notes to this episode. Okay. Right. So,
1: um, so no, I told him listen to that. And, you know, he, the kid, young kid, um, I followed him on Instagram and I messaged him the link to it. And I said, make sure you listen to it, you know, and, uh, he messaged me the next day and he was like, oh my God, thank God I listened to that. That's like exactly, like I needed to hear so much of that stuff. I was like, it's important. I said, you should go knock on his door too. He's um, it's not as busy as he used to be either. I think he's um, doing more teaching and less production work. Um, so he's more open to having people stop by too.
0: This kind of brings me to the conversation you and I have been having for quite a long time. When you first started with the Blacksmith's Pub, you and I would talk about questions, questions mm-hmm. to ask your ask your guests.
1: Yeah, I always asked, yeah.
0: And I always appreciated the fact that we would talk. And the only thing I could think of was, and this stems from the years learning under Ori Hoffi. Ori Hoffi used to say all the time in construction— there's all. There's no more wrought iron. There's no more wrought iron railings and new construction. We're talking about new construction. Don't say oh well. What about? Don't even worry about that. We're talking about a new construction in in in. It's glass. It's stainless steel. It's bronze. It's it's you know. It there's not as much of this humanity of forged work here and there. Yes, but it's not the forefront the way it used to be. He used to say as blacksmiths. We must constantly ponder the question: What is the role of the modern-day blacksmith? And I thought, I thought, you know, what's fascinating. It's a fascinating conversation, and that's the question I always had you ask. And I know you asked Pat. I remember when you first had Pat on; you asked him that, and you had every, That's a. It's always a good question to ask. And I'm fascinated by the fact that it's not just one answer. I was talking to uh, Ben Snurr last night. And we were talking. He was asking me about like what it was like to meet John Williams. We'll, we'll circle back about John Williams and Pat uh, soon. And he said to me, "I know you always ask that question, but he's like, I don't think I've ever gotten a one good answer." And I said to him, "I think it's an amalgamation of answers. Mm-hmm. I think you have to you have to see all the people who've answered the question and then kind of put them all together and see what the role of the modern day blacksmith is and what you did for this kid." To me is what the role of the modern day blacksmith is send him a podcast and give him the information and go to Instagram and and, and involve him in a community and kind of create, keep this ball rolling, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think there's been a, there's definitely been a lot of different answers to that question and nobody like Ben said is like totally fully answered it. Right. Um, and I liked what you said like last week on, um, your podcast with, uh, with Pat and John about uh, blacksmith being recreational. I think that even goes as far as people getting into it and taking classes as a recreational thing to do on a weekend. Um, it's, that's it, an interesting concept. I think there's always been elements of it being recreational. Um, I think like, all I can think is the story, Mike, grandmother told me about her step-grandfather who was a full-time farrier in north clarendon um and he uh you know after work one day had forged her like a traditional like scrolled um sled for sliding in the backyard which wow. i wish i wish i had oh my god i was like what did she do with it she's like i don't know and lost it over the years i'm Ugh. like that's crazy but um
0: but of course, of course, you're going to find... I mean, the idea is, and I think that the Center for Metal Arts is the perfect example of this idea. And even talking to you about doing, you know, your, your, your fireplace poker, I would imagine for first-time people doing the fireplace poker and being able to use the power hammer, because fireplace poker is the perfect starting point for using a power hammer because you are naturally farther away from the dies than you would be if you were holding something in your tongs
1: yeah absolutely and, and you're, you're a little hold- bit more you, settled you, yeah you're holding the piece of iron and you're not like trying to balance it in tongs that gets right. kick- kicked around or whatever
0: what was that like for some of the students who had never used it's crazy the power hammer before.
1: because like you you know traditionally you're supposed to run a power hammer with if you're right-handed you're supposed to run it with your um left foot and open up your right. so your your left side's facing it right and um So you have your, your power hand on your right going forward and, uh, or behind holding material. Um, but everybody, I think naturally just wants to run it with their gas pedal.
0: That's Um, interesting. So
1: just like body, um, mechanics and stuff like that. Uh, and people not, not understanding, uh, if you know, the harder you step, like the faster and harder it's going to hit. Right. And I tried to explain it to uh, one guy who was an older gentleman that was it's um, pretty funny. I said, it's like running a sewing machine. And he goes, well, I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> and I was like, so funny. And I was like, okay. But I was like, really? You never ran a sewing machine? I wouldn't know
0: anything about that. How dare you accuse me of using a sewing machine? Oh,
1: my God. That was like when we went through, um, on another note exactly like that, uh, the... Windsor, uh, the Precision Museum in Vermont, Um, can't think of the exact name of it, it's in Windsor, Vermont, Um, and they've got, it was in that area, they manufactured, like, most of the um, rifles for the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, and it's, like, a big, huge machining, um, blacksmithing town, and um, they did major, major stuff back then. Um, and they have like a little museum that I went to with Dave Bradley and, um, my wife and my father, and we went through it and, uh, cool machinery, amazing stuff to see. But as my wife, Carrie is looking at some of the old tools and machinery, this old guy walks up to her and he says, the woman's stuff is over there. And over there is like, um, this, like, glass case full of, like, typewriters and sewing oh, machines. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. You said God. that to the wrong person, yeah. P.S. Yeah, I was like... I can't think of anybody I wrong was like, oh, she, to say that to him. She's going to tear you apart, but she, uh, no, she's very good about it. But, the, um, they, yeah, that that's a cool museum to see if anybody is up in New England and wants something to do for a day.
0: One of the, back to when you're talking about the mechanics of the power hammer, I never even thought about it. I never even thought about the fact that my natural inclination is always to run a hammer with my left foot, and then my right f- side's back. I never even it didn't even it didn't even dawn on me that that that's how. I mean, I would feel if the other way. I'm trying to think if I had ever used my right foot and held held the, with my leading hand being my right hand, and I don't think I ever have. I don't think I think it would be like trying to brush your teeth with the wrong hand.
1: Yeah, I don't. It's funny. It's like the way. When I learned at Kevin's shop, he always kind of – he sat down on with his power hammer, which is like kind of tra- traditional. Well, the old ways in the quarries, you would sit in a swing. So you could swing from your, from your forge to your power hammer to your anvil. And your forge height and your um, bottom die height for your power hammer and your anvil are all the same height. Huh. And they did that for speed because they needed those guys to, you know, whack out the, the chisels so fast. Um, so – like sitting and forging isn't an old concept, but the way he has it set up very similar to that, where he can spin on his stool from his forge to the power hammer to the anvil, tap, tap, and like, you know, bend a scroll. And he was doing massive like catalog stuff. So it was like a lot of repetitious work. Um So I had learned running those hammers there and, um, he always ran it with his right foot. And then when I went down and to the Morellos, the Lee Morell and he was like, no, no, no. It's like, you got to learn to do it the other way. Like I wouldn't even let you run a power hammer here, you know, that yeah. way. Um, so, you know, correcting myself, I find that with, um, my little giant, I do always run it with my left foot, but with the An Yang, like, and being able to like approaching those flat dies with different tooling and all sorts of crazy stuff. I wanted my, I wanted up using both feet. Like I wound up doing all this crazy stuff. Cause you're trying to like get your body position and you're, um, being able to hit the material on the way you want to hit it.
0: That uh, makes sense because you're using your, you're not your left hand. If you're right hand, you're using your right. left hand for the top tools. Right.
1: Exactly. So it's, I wind up doing all this craziness. But,
0: yeah. Um, I never thought yeah. about that either.
1: So it's interesting to think on, but, um, it is fun in the beginners with the power hammers and like getting them, getting going with it. And I liked it. It's great to take that first class and be exposed to all this stuff because then you go home, you have more of an interest in it. You're going to buy an anvil. You're going to buy a hammer or you're going to, you know, a just a hand hammer and, um, in a forge and start up, um, it's like now you have this like education where it's like, at least you've been exposed to the power hammer thing. And it's like, do you really need that? Or is that something that you'll buy down the road? Um,
0: and that's Pat's MO. I mean, Pat's MO is right. And exactly. this is the idea behind the role of the modern day blacksmith and how we see forging now is, you know, now more than ever, which is totally crazy. Uh, a craft that has, you know, that has industrial equipment that you never were able to really have. I mean, obviously there were farms that had twenty-five pound little giants, like your power right. hammer was, Your your little giant was probably in someone's, sh- you know, their barn for fixing whatever. But like now, that wasn't something for recreation. That was something for needing to be able to fix something in the on the in the farm. Now you are starting to see people with and yangs, people with coal iron presses. Mm-hmm. You're seeing giant you know, the renovation of, of these old pieces of equipment. And they're in people's garages. There been people's like my friend Josh Scott, he's a knife maker, uh, he was in Ohio, now he's in California. He schlepped all the his, his he schlepped all his his coal iron press across the country to be in a he's in like a neighborhood. He's in a neighborhood and he's got his Press in a garage, and he had to like figure out if the neighbors are going to hear him. You know, that's
1: that's the nice thing about presses, like, they don't have to have a foundation, and they're well, I want to say they're quieter, but they're really not.
0: Um, it's a different type of quietness, it's a
1: different, it's kind of like running an air compressor. But, um, the one thing my power hammer, like, I insulated my shop pretty well, and the little giant you don't really hear. But what the issue is, I find with. The power hammers is that in the wintertime when the ground's frozen, you can feel it in the the house. I bet. And I know my neighbors can. I bet. Um, So that's like something to be sensitive to more so than at least with a press, you could, in theory, kind of build insulation around um, that, you know, the pump and the motor.
0: But you couldn't have your shop couldn't exist in my neighborhood. Could, no, I'm sure. And you're starting to see more and more people figuring out ways in which to... There's. Go, I'm convinced that there's going to be a company that is going to ride the wave and start making American power hammers, American power hammers. And I know it's crazy when you think about the concept of back to what, what Pat's doing. He is, he's seeing people with more and Yangs. He's got some on the way too. He's going to have like 15 power hammers all day in that in center for middle arts at some nice. point. Yep. And people are getting an Yangs. People are getting coal iron presses. People are getting these. The, it's great to buy them thinking that you're going to use them. But if you're not using these industrial pieces of equipment safely, you're you're putting everybody at risk mm-hmm. you know and i and i i think that that's it's such an interesting concept in terms of how we see the what the modern day blacksmith is and i would think that if everybody who's buying anvils and they're you know they're dry, i mean that's part of the reason why the anvils prices are driving up so high is because people watching this or people seeing this and they want to get an anvil and then they you know it's 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 this new wave a generational wave of finding something, but it's completely different from how it has been throughout history. You know, you 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 know, two hundred years ago, you didn't say to your dad, "I'm saving up for an anvil so I can make something for me." No, you know, you,
1: yeah, it, right, exactly. That's it was crazy.
0: completely. I mean, that was completely. On. I mean, I'm, I'm 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 just assuming that it was completely not something you did for recreation. You know, and I,
1: mean, I don't know. See, my grandfather or my. my... Great grandfather had like an anvil and a forge, and he handmade um, handmade sailboats. He was a master carpenter, but he worked worked for the um, for the local train, and he he made he made all did all the woodwork for like the uh, train cars and stuff.
0: But he wasn't um, a hobbyist.
1: Yeah, I guess not. I mean, but he was making stuff recreationally, like with a forge and with woodworking tools too. I mean, I guess. He did like sell some stuff, but I mean, I don't know how much stuff he sold. But
0: this kind of brings me to uh, one thing you and I were talking about is um, Richard Postman, who wrote Anvils in America, Mm -hmm. passed away this past week. I heard about it from Andrew Alexander, who I'm going to have on relatively soon. Anvils in America is probably one of the most important new books in regards to anvils in America, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's pretty interesting. Um Postman, I don't know. I did text Andrew about it because I haven't seen an obituary for him pop up yet. Um my book I got a long time ago as I open it. Uh is it's a first edition. Um December eleventh, it's dated nineteen ninety eight, and it's he only did a thousand copies of the first edition. Mine's nine fifty two. Um but so definitely a small printing the first round and then um like in his introduction he mentions that it's the book is not to be read through cover to cover like I did um it's it's more as a reference guide too but I think it's well worth you know sitting down and reading like a section a night and um there's a lot of information in there there's a lot of stuff that's um not exactly right anymore but I mean it's the most we knew at the time on uh, the history of some of these companies that are that are gone you know there's there's nothing left it's at least with the like the little giant power hammers and stuff that company like did somewhat stay alive um, and you can you can call them and like you know like when I got my little giant I called them up and they I read them the serial number and they said, okay, this hammer went from this shop to this shop to your shop. And that's like, you know, in the dates of when those transactions happen, which is cool.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Actually, my hammer came out of um, a quarry in uh, Berlin, New Hampshire, and was used just to forge like the chisels.
0: And then where did it go from there?
1: It went to uh, Peter Hapney. Um, i know peter Hapney, yeah i went to his shop coolest blacksmith shop i've ever seen in my life um he bought like an old um train car building that they would actually drive the trains into um and he built basically a house inside that building and the rest of it's his blacksmithing stuff with just like little paths because there's so much steel and metal over the years he's had piled in that building but yeah he's an amazing sculptor and um blacksmith but he bought that hammer i think in like the early 80s and had it for had it for 30 years until i bought it
0: you know just to bring it all around the first uh the first fireplace poker class i ever took was with peter patney
1: yeah i'm not surprised yeah
0: he came to, he used to come to the center for mental arts and he would do these like he that's i still have that that anvil oh, look look small world Anvils in America is an, is an important book because it has all a lot of information about anvils. What's interesting to me is if you read the introduction, uh, Richard Richard, uh, Richard Postman who says that he was doing a metalworking uh, class. I don't know what he what kind of class he was doing a class or running paper. He was somewhere. a welding shop teacher, and he was trying to find some information on anvils. And there were very very little books, no books, no books, no books and he just couldn't believe it and there was there's a quote in the in the beginning where it basically says the, the first quote is it's strange that such a little uh, that little heat has been paid to the anvil considering that for centuries it's the basic tool throughout civilized world however um, those things are common in everyday living are often taken for granted until it's too late uh, why put it in literature something that everyone knows even the bible mentions an anvil once You know, so what's interesting is, so in 1982, he decides I, well, somebody's got to do it. And this is a comprehensive book with pictures and literature as much as he could, as he could find in regards to identifying anvils, how anvils were made, the construction, the, you know, how they were done. It's, it's like a, it's an incredible catalog, Mm -hmm. but it also brings to the point that I've been saying for a long time is this it was this it's almost it's still considered relatively new this is like a resurgence of what was being done right
1: yeah i think it's interesting because like i wrote him a letter in um i guess 2012 about some anvils i had found but he says at the end of that letter that um about uh if i ever get to the new book anvil's tool to publish it um it will inform you a lot on most of your questions and answer some. Uh, Merry Christmas, Richard Postman. Most of his letters really really uh, tough to read. It's uh, handwritten, uh, small cursive, written in almost like a hurry. But uh, I had asked him about a couple different anvils, an old colonial um, anvil, Uh, let me just look at, he says, uh, that anvil was a London area anvil, 1750 to 1800. Um, and the other thing he, he mentions is, uh, that I find interesting is that, uh, most, there was 250 anvil, anvil manufacturers, uh, in England. And there was only, I think only like 50 or so that actually like sent stuff to the United States, And he said most of them at the time before they built the canals were um, in the London area because of transportation. Otherwise, they had to go out on horseback um, or pack horses, he says. Um, So you can only imagine, like, how many anvils can you put in a pack horse, you know, to go somewhere um, through, like, rural England. I thought it was interesting that he said it was the canal system that enabled them to, like, do the – be able to let the manufacturers go into the countryside, I think like into Birmingham um, and uh, be able to, I, I would have thought it wasn't the canals it would have been the train that would huh. have blown that up. But yeah, very, pretty interesting. I had been buying like, I think 2012, I've been buying quite a few anvils that I wrote them about um, a couple, but it's hard to tell from a photo
0: Nice to see, of course.
1: It in, in photo, you know that's in the biggest scam of all
0: time, you know. Yeah, you can't yeah. tell anything until you see it up close. No, I
1: think the big thing is like as I reread the introduction last night. So he didn't know where to go looking for any information, and he bumped into um, Bill Gishner of Age uh, Iron Antiques, and that was the guy when I first started down at Vermont Forgings that um, Kevin would call him quite often. And he, uh, he was the one that back in the day, like those companies, like the small time blacksmiths, I don't know, like in the knife world, but like the blacksmith, blacksmith, they were doing like, he was doing like catalog stuff. So it was like, you know, this company will give you $50,000 for like, you know, X number of like toilet paper hangers or like whatever. And if you couldn't make that, all those, you know, how many thousands they needed by a certain time period, you paid them that money. So it was like these crazy contracts that they would get. And um, so he would like, you know, at times they would like, all these guys around, Stephen Bronstein bought from him, like Lee Morrell, um, they would could call him Bill Gishner on the phone and say, I need a 25-pound little giant, I need like a 50-pound hammer, what do you have? And this guy had stuff hidden all over the country and would just show up. And he would sell you a, like a power hammer, equipment, forges, like anything you needed he had. And you could call him back up in a month and say, this machine doesn't work for me, Some screwed up with it, like I get rid of it, like give me another one. And he would swap stuff out for you and come back. Wow. Yeah, so kind of a neat guy. And I know Kevin always thought the world of him. Um, but that's the, that's the guy that, um, Richard Postman went to in the very beginning. Um, and he talks about calling him, but Postman, I mean, his, his book, if anybody doesn't have it, anvils in America is definitely amazing. Um, and his second book on Mousehole Forge, um, is really interesting too. I mean, I think I was never really drawn to like, Mousehole forge. I always like the Americans, like the, um, Trenton and Hay Buddons and, um, like the forged anvils, Arm and Hammer, um, is amazing. Like the blacksmith that started Arm and Hammer had worked for Trenton and, um, they got in a fight over something cause he was forging anvils like a certain way. I forget the whole story, but it's in the book and how they, um, had fired him and walked him out the door of the factory and the guy jumped the fence and snuck back in to finish forging that anvil. Wow,
0: that's but a yeah,
1: good one. <laughs> yeah, and then he went on and started his own company. But uh so the the book is full of really fascinating stories like that. It's it's full of like all the different as I flipped through like Wilkinson um anvils, like you know different patterns they had over the years. Um
0: I like the be the comparing and contrasting of the constructions. Like why they would f- jump well down the waist to the face to the to the body and how they could do it in two parts, and there was one section on scrap iron how they would just start to forge well down scrap iron to make the bases and stuff like that and iron, you know anvils that were made completely out of scrap iron and it was yeah really- that was
1: kind of like Peter writes like selling point it was like quality scrap iron or yeah whatever. that was it that was yeah. what it said
0: it's, yeah yeah, the, the best scrap iron it's like, it's like yeah. the best garbage we could find I know
1: <laughs> it is kind of neat because it's like you don't know where that iron was it could have been around for forever
0: well, you the, know like and then when you look at the pictures at, on how the drawings of how they're forging and you can look at the cover I mean that looks like the steam hammer that looks like the, the 400 pounder 4000 pounder at, uh, at CMA Three yeah, thousand pounds?
1: It does, yeah, absolutely. Like well they forged like the those big anvils that are at CMA were forged in the uh, in the Cambridge. bridge anvils, anvils, right? Yeah, the bridge anvils. With that awesome like dovetail for the legs, which is like it it's funny that they came up with that design, but it's like you look at that design and you think, Oh my god, they just simplified the whole thing and made it so much easier.
0: Makes and perfect it, sense. And it,
1: and it looks great. Like looks and great. it works great. Like um. Yeah, I think we, what happened at Cambria Ironworks and that old Smith shop would have been amazing to see.
0: But bringing back kind of all what we're talking about, what in terms of the idea of the modern day blacksmith, it is this, I, I'm very grateful to Richard Postman. Mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for the fact that he put it all in one book because that's really what, the modern-day blacksmith, is kind of telling future generations, this is what we did. And it it makes me appreciate what Pat's doing more because they are restoring those giant hammers. He's got two hammers now. I can't believe he got the 4,000 up and running before. I know, is know.
1: that running, running? Because when I was there, he was still putting springs on it.
0: Well, whatever, I mean, he's yeah. close. He says he got that's it close. back to every the ram moving in like two weeks. Yeah, that's awesome. So the the idea that, because, I mean, you talk to him, you talk to Pat too, and I'm not. Say, I'm saying this based on many conversations he and I have had, is there not a lot of people who know how to run these hammers, you know? So it's, it's not as, as easy as, you know, Finding a manual, and right. you know, you have to talk to you're dealing with teams of He says you cannot run these hammers without a team of five safely. You see, team of five. Yeah. And what the modern day blacksmith is, is almost like this it's this preservation, it's like this it's like a game of telephone where you're constantly having to tell people. I mean, it is it's an embarrassment that for years and years, for decades and decades, people thought anvils were for fucking the cartoons, you know? Yeah, I know. That's what we grew up with. That was what Isn't we grew it? up with. it. Yeah. Wiley e. Coyote dropping an anvil, right. you know? And it's embarrassing that that's what's synonymous. I can tell that joke to to 100 people, and 90, 90, 90 of them will get it. They know that's what they think an anvil's for, is for a weight, you know? Right. And the modern-day blacksmith is 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 keeping it alive telling it and maybe transforming its direction you know what pat's doing by getting these old machines up and running and I, I give him a lot of credit one of the other things is i don't think it could have happened if he didn't have it as a nonprofit if if it wasn't for the grants that he's applying for and working his ass off to get cats off to him this wouldn't be able to be as precise And as thoughtful as it is Mm -hmm. without, if you had to worry about running jobs to the shop to get, keep the, keep the lights on, couldn't do it. It would, it would be the same thing that would happen. uh, Owner of Cambria after owner, after Cambria, after owner, after Cambria, where you're trying to run jobs through to keep the whole place around. That's what the old center for metal arts it was this stealing from Paul to pay Pete, or what is, what is the expression? Yeah, is no, I know what you
1: mean. Uh, you know, yeah. because
0: fine architect- architectural metalsmiths was running jobs. If you don't know the old days, it was fine architectural metalsmiths in the Center for Middle Arts, and, you know, they were trying to separate out and make a non-profit. But, I mean, if fine architectural metalsmiths, we were running railings out through the shop while they were teaching classes, and it was like one was feeding the other. And yeah. it was it was a, a labored way in which to kind of keep it alive right now Pat's got Pat doesn't have to run Pat doesn't have to run jobs through that shop Pat can focus on these grants are for this these grants for this we can focus on renovating this we can re- restoring this he's he's able to just calm down and have a game plan and ex- accentuate and it's kind of like uh, not accentuate to focus on the task at hand which is bringing it back to life and and to ex- showing people what can be done, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that it's, I think that it's, I think that I almost feel like it's It's going to be, I believe in the past you know, few months I've been thinking that we're on the verge of a golden age. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that because people are seeing it online and people are exposed to what's happening, there are, more people are getting interested in it.
1: They are, but like the antique guy that I buy and sell to quite a bit, Sam um, in Middlebury. He he was concerned the last time I was there, and he said he goes, "I've got more anvils right now than I've ever had." And he goes, "He goes, they're not selling." He goes, "He goes, it's over." He's like, "It the the craze is over." He's and, p- and I'm like, "Really? It doesn't seem like that." Like if you if you follow the prices online, they're still pretty high. It hasn't gone back to the old days when you know I first started buying, and you could buy an anvil for 150 bucks. But
0: you can't, you cannot judge the economy based off of the last two years of this. Stuff, yeah, this I world. think well, with gas gas prices and everything else, it's I mean, coming. The gas prices are coming down, but like after, are, yeah. after after after, <laughs> you cannot gauge anything. The past three years are, is, is an anomaly that you should not base any of your the economics of a small business on mm-hmm. you know you're talking blacksmithing is they talked about anvils in the bible just relax dude in an antique store it's the craze is over is crazy there's more people seeing forging on instagram here's a good example uh riley kirkpatrick kirkpatrick you know riley mm-hmm. kirkpatrick forge he blacksmith hammer maker farrier does uh, awesome yeah. reels so awesome.
1: I love his stuff. Like, he does a great like, job. I, think, I wish more people followed him. because was like, oh, it's, What are you
0: talking about more people following him? 150,000 well, people yeah, are following him
1: now. I know. But I mean, it's, as far as, he's just such a good blacksmith.
0: He's a great blacksmith. And he listens to the podcast. He listens to Knife Talk. We, we've talked offline and stuff like that. I'm helping him. I think he's going to be doing some sort of podcast coming up. I'm going to help him however I can help him. Nice. But here's the great thing about what, what Riley's done. He is, with this 175,000, or I don't know how many, 100-plus thousand Instagram followers, every time he posts a reel, or or Ben, Ben snores popping a hole in a hammer or forging something. Every time those guys do one of those, you're exposing someone who has no interest or never had interest into what we're doing. And that is, if you just take a small percentage of that, that's the most important part is you're experiencing you're showing people what these anvils are doing and what people with skills and techniques are doing with them and that to me is good enough for me if it's good and and a lot of you know like a lot of people in our in our in our community are just like go fucking reels or this guy's not a good blacksmith who gives a shit we need to keep this motherfucker rolling and this is the this is the best way to keep the ball rolling is to show people Show people what we're doing in a minute and 30 second videos. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, then you know, all of a sudden it's just like, then you can say, How are we going to do? I hope, I hope Pat, this is coming out, this is coming out on right before the Cambria Iron Conference. I hope they take lots of video and post it so people can see what they're doing at the Center for Metal Arts.
1: Yeah, I'm sure they'll have, um, I would think he would probably hire somebody like he has in the past to, you know, but don't professionally you... Th- shoot stuff.
0: But don't, I mean, how do you feel, how do you feel about it?
1: I'm sure a lot of people will be
0: filming. No, but I mean, in terms of of, like the value of the right now,
1: of blacksmithing in general, like I think, well, I think like to go back to what Sam was saying, and I I wonder if like those new like cast steel anvils from China that you can buy on like eBay and Amazon, like that, you know, Bob Menard always has at, um, you know, Maker Camp coming up in the New England blacksmiths, like those you can buy like this 66 pound, um, tool steel cast, um, Chinese anvil. And they're, they're great little anvils for, you know, a hundred bucks or whatever they pay for them. And I wonder if that, if people starting out and they want an anvil and it's like, they look at these antique anvils that are, uh, you know, have antique prices on them that are pretty big, um, if they look at it and go, well, I don't need that. I just need like an anvil to hit something on. So they're buying, you know, these, these new anvils instead. So I wonder if that's like hurting the, um, the pricing on some things.
0: I don't necessarily think so. I think that in, 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 my, I think that it's, I think it's like fishing reels. When you first starting getting into fishing, you get the cheapest reel you get. And then all of a sudden you like it. And then you start buying better ones. Yeah, I don't think. I, I think that I think that any port in the storm in this situation is important. in regards to In regards to your friend, and I don't know him, the antique guy. I mean, their prices are ridiculous. Their pri- the prices at antique stores for anvils are ridiculous. I mean, they're on un- they're unreasonable.
1: You know, they like, are. But a lot of times, those guys hunt really hard to get an anvil. Um, and I understand. Then, so they they market it at a price where it's like, I want this piece to be here as a showpiece too. But I'll sell it for this much money. Of course. So it's, it's, a lot of times that price tag isn't actually the number they'll sell it for. Um, so you know, it doesn't it doesn't hurt to ask. It to doesn't hurt down. to ask.
0: It doesn't hurt to ask. I and mean, this is the story that we you and I have talked about forever. You know, anytime I see an anvil, I always send with a price. I send it to you, and you said that's a good price or that's a terrible price. And mm. and and I and I think that. I think that the problem is, and I've said this a million times, is the fact that these antique guys are not blacksmiths. So you can't sell me a ham. You can't sell, sell me an anvil, that's the, the, that's got a pile of hitting, that's it's got the, yeah. somebody uses as somebody uses it as a acetylene a, a torch table, that, that has the uh. chips. The corners are chipped up. You can't use any. There's no one flat spot on it, and it's just beat to shit. The the horns knocked off, and you're going to tell me you're going to sell it for you know eight hundred dollars it's know, just like i can't
1: I or the it, face the face plates half broken right. They're like no that's the way it was made it's like no, yeah no see was, well that's I, I know made. i don't
0: have a lot of i don't have a lot of sympathy nor do i have a lot of uh I, I i kind of discount you know i i would have i would have far be far more interested in talking to a guy like andrew alexander who buys and sells anvils because he knows him or aaron sergal who buys and sells anvils he knows him you know, mm-hmm. a guy, like those guys who actually are blacksmiths or who understand what needs to be done, I would be far more interested in guys like that. I mean, if you you want to, we'll talk to talk to James Johnson, James Johnson, uh, James Johnson, right? An Yang, yeah, yeah, An Yang. Ask him if the blacksmithing's over. You know, yeah. Ask know, him if blacksmithing's yeah. over. Ask him if blacksmithing. Go call 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 uh, coal, Ironworks. You ask him. Ask them if it's over. You know, guys who are, you know, their coal ironworks has never been hotter. And same thing with James John. I, mean, I don't think he can fit it. I don't know how many more anvil. I mean, I've talked to him a little bit. I don't know how many more power hammers he can fit on one of them boats. I mean, I know, he'll sink every boat he got. I mean, he can't bring so it back many, fast enough.
1: So many people get into it. I actually, like James referred, I actually referred a couple people, but um, I had the guys from like Hubbard and Forge um, who have an An Yang, but wanted to see the new style where you know the top die isn't going to the ram um and one of my friends is works as a machinist there um and he brought like the forge crew over to check out my hammer and um just see what they had changed but um James had told another guy actually his father did um that just got into blacksmithing a retired doctor of all things um guy that he didn't want to make knives or anything he just wants to do kind of traditional blacksmithing and um has like built himself like a nice shop. And, uh, he just ordered in Anyang, and he goes, I've never, never ran a power hammer in my life. He was like, can I come over? And my first response was like, yeah, I don't know if I have time. I was busy at the moment, but I was like, just for safety reasons, right. like, please come over. And he came over and it was, you know, we had a great half day just foraging and, um, You know, showing them what, like, what you could do with a power hammer, what you could do with, like, you know, a forging press, and, um, you know, how to, ways to easily get hurt with them, and do's and don'ts, and, um, you know, uh, especially with the yangs watching, like, the oiler, and what kind of oil you're using, which I think is a struggle. Um, uh, You know, there's a lot, there's a lot to it if you're brand new and never, never use that equipment. Yeah.
0: Well, if you think about when Pat talks about using the three thousand, he yeah. says that you got five guys. If they're not, you know, and they're, in, and it's, they're not holding the steel up, they're using chain hoist to kind of make sure that it's level. They got to make sure that the steel is level when it's sitting on the anvil before they start to, you know, throw the throw the die. And it's because if it's not level, and it hits, and it doesn't, and it the the the, the bar comes up, and gonna break everybody's arms off.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it could, and that comes you. down
0: to, and that also comes down to the smaller, the smaller the hammer and that happens too. That happens when you are just on a hand hammer, on a ha- on an ammo with a hand hammer, it and you are not yeah. you are not hitting it correctly, and it flies up. It, the, your tongs or your piece of steel flies up. I mean, that's that's the basic stuff that translates as bigger the bigger as you go. But the, that's the problem with the these. People are using industrial equipment and that might be one of the reasons why people aren't buying new anvils as much. I know Holland's out there and Nimba's out there, shout out to them. And That's there true. are companies still making new anvils, but it seems is almost more like people are going straight to the industrial equipment, you know?
1: Yeah, I think they are. I mean, I think with the whole for- fortune fire thing, um, which has brought a lot of people into it, like people want to go from like somebody brand new, you walk, you walk, happened a hundred times like 18 year old kid walks into my shop or meets me and says like he doesn't want to just start forging he wants to go straight to like doing Damascus knives right. and it's like well like there's a process to get that far
0: it's um, it's stunning to me it's stunning to me that people are I it's people who I know forging fire champions who send me messages asking me you know what tongs should I be buying You know, Mm -hmm. to to hold a to hold a bottle opener, and I'm just like, dude, you gotta you gotta figure this out. You know, and 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 there's no, no no disrespect, but I mean at the same time, it's like there's so much cart before the horse. Yeah, right. That it's like it it is. This is a part that's, and I know that Pat feels this way. It's scary. You know, you see people who are going straight for the forge, or straight from the forge to their to their an yang and maybe they're not wearing glasses or they're holding it weird. Or you see these guys and I don't know what the fuck they're doing, but like there's are some dudes, they get their face right up on there. You never see those guys. They're mm. hunched over on the power hammer and they are like, their face is farther, is closer to the dies than the end of the tongs are. Right. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because they want a, a good picture Maybe they want good capture, good image of them. Like they're really concentrating, but it's like, it's a problem. It's a problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, the safety concern with like people getting into it and like buying, I mean, even the forging presses, if you're not level with that material can like, you know, pick you up. It's yeah. it still throws you, it throws you around. Um, Yeah. Safety is definitely a big concern with it, but. It's, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say on it other than. Well,
0: I mean, the thing is, is it, I don't bring, it brings me back to the idea that, you know, this is, this is the golden age. Cause I think that's going to, I think that there's going to be a, a definitely, uh, there are, there are people. I know that, I know that people are making new for, there are new forge companies coming out. I know people are trying to kind of make more ribbon burners. People are po- fired up about having ribbon burners and, People are focusing on equipment that they think that is that there is a need for. Yeah, I mean the grinder I'm, business is like I don't think huge. the grinder business has ever been better.
1: Yeah, that that business will continue to grow because you can use that in more things than just metal.
0: Well, except um, for the fact that how many grinders do you does one? You know, how do you bang? I, I mean, don't know. how do you bang I'd, the same guy a couple times? You know?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but the uh, who was I going to say? I lost my train of
0: thought. I'm sorry, I did that to you. No, that's all right. No, the, the grinder thing is. But, I mean, cool. you, you, what we're, we're talking about is there's, there's a need. There's a, mm-hmm. there's obviously a need that people are interested in. I mean, hammer business is good. I mean, Jake Farum's back at doing reels again. I have something some good. You know, he's he's making it happen. And, and, you know, hammer makers are selling hammers. I know John's selling some hammers. And Cliff and all those guys get involved with hammer sales. So they're doing it.
1: I'm and they're, amazed like that there's still such a, it's amazing to me with hammers that like people get into blacksmithing and then that's all they forge. And it's like they forge and they forge and they forge hammers. It's cool. But it blows me away that there's, there's people that like, I felt like that was just like a revolution that happened like a while ago, but it, it keeps happening in waves. You see new people getting into it. um, And they, and they forge that one thing. The one kid that I really like who's in Massachusetts, Massachusetts, um, it's a fat boy forge. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: like, I love his, his, like, hammers are really unique. They've definitely got, like, a.
0: It's almost like no, it's like, it's, it's all cheek.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's breaking a lot of rules. Like, he's. He, he, it's he, like
0: he's, a hockey puck on a, on a, on a, on a stick.
1: Yeah, he's, he's fine. I like his, uh, he's very creative. So I, it is, it is cool to see that, like, new people getting in. But I understand thing. it.
0: I understand, I mean, hammer makers, it makes a lot of sense. Because you're making something that other people can use to create with, uh-huh. and there is this, there is a far more, of, there's more of the glory of the fact that this guy swings my hammers. You know, I mean, perfect example is uh, is uh, John. John makes hammers for for Neil Kamamura. and Neil is like. He's I'll tell you what a what a I love Neil. Great guy. Got his phone. He calls me once in a while. We we chatted up. We had an I don't we had him on knife talk. He'd awesome. He was amazing. I heard a story that he don't let anyone touch his hammers. His John Ariani. Yeah. Moves, no, you know? I
1: heard he's passionate about John well, So That's awesome. Here's how passionate <laughs> yeah. he
0: is. Here's how passionate he is. There was an event there was an event out of California, the Forge a Table event. And a guy came up to him and he says, Can I can I see your Sunset Forge hammer, and he goes, no, no one's allowed to. Morocco wasn't even allowed to pick up his hammer. No one was allowed to pick up his hammer. <laughs> and this guy says to Neil, said, can I pick up your hammer?" And he goes, "You want to fuck my wife too?" That oh was, oh my god, yeah. yeah so it's, that's, it's, that's a it's, strong it's, fucking thing to say to a guy who, well, you know, no, we know John, we know yeah. Ariani. We know it's this sa- fucking guy.
1: Right. It's sacred to him. Though, it's to sacred. That. It's it's intimate. Yeah, I It get is that. intimate.
0: It is intimate. Yeah. I mean, that's a strong thing to say, but I, I salute you. He even joked about it. He even joked about it. He's like, yeah, I think I went a little hard on this guy, but, you know, that's the way it is. But, I mean, if you're making hammers for people who are creating stuff with your hammers, it is very – I mean, every time Alex Pohl or the guys at, at uh, the Forge use – you know, they use Cliff's hammers. In, in his books, when you see a hammer, there's the Cliff Dufton stamp. Yeah. And it's awesome. And it's like, there is this with hammers, especially there is a holiness. It is kind of like the, I hate to say it, but I've God. I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it, but they're like a samurai with his sword that he he appreciates. Mm -hmm. I mean, tongs are never going to get, tongs will never get the do hammer gets. No one's ever just like, whose tongs do you use? No one's ever going to be like, oh, I only use. I don't
1: you know. know. I look for initials on tongs. Like, I know
0: you do, but you're like a you're like yeah. you're the best I'm, maniac I'm of the, all time. The geeky. Yeah, you're the best. I mean, you're the best maniac of all time. But at the same time, it's like I I, I actually when I was at uh, I met with John. I saw we were saying when you get to the Center for Metal Arts. And you get to hang out with the teacher and the for and the students. I, I was so psyched to get in there with John Williams and meet him. And after talking with him so long as I remember you and I, you and I actually saw Ellen Durkin's uh, hammers that, that John right. made. Remember that yep. hammer? Do you ever remember yep. what that hammer looked like? He I had, he so. put a fuller, he used the, uh, a guillotine, I guess. And he made like, he made like a, he made like a, uh, an ornamentation between the cheeks and the face. He, he made this, like, uh, he coped out, like, a round, like, a half round all the way around. I'll huh, never forget. I'd have to
1: see it. It yeah. was awesome.
0: It was awesome. And getting to talk to him was amazing. And then he said to me, he looked in my bag, and he saw a hammer. He said, I want to see your hammers. He's like, I don't want you to see my hammers. This is the hammers I made, which I enjoyed making. Right. And I don't, I don't yeah. sell my hammers. I, I'm still, I, I think I take, I take a lot of, you're an inspiration to me because you made all your tools and you've well, I I love make, your,
1: i've love i bought a lot of tools but. no but i
0: mean you all your hammers you forge your own hammers like when you bring your kit with your yellow your all your tools are marked yeah. yellow you've f- made most of them
1: i have but they're you know i mean they're also not the prettiest things on the I, planet but i'm fun. also like in love with them and i don't care i like my favorite hammer at, is actually like um it's this soft, mild steel hammer that I use for driving drifts or like you know anything. There's I, one of your. I've, I've got more miles on that hammer, and the cool thing about it is I've knocked off the wood ham- handle a couple times and like reforged it back. Is it upset and everything? I just reforged the whole thing.
0: You and... have a couple hammers that I covet. You have a small. You have a small. I think it's like a two and a half pound cross pin that you yeah. made. That I every yeah. time I see you, I will pick it up because I always love it. But what I make, I started you, you know, inspired me to start to make my own hammers. And I know that I've spent, I'm still a total novice and I sandbag the shit out of it. Like none of them are, there's one of them that's forged to finish, but it's all cockeyed. But I love the idea of making my own tools. And mm-hmm. I do love my yeah. hammers. And I was, I have two, I have a cross peen that I love and I have a, a rounding hammer that I like a lot. I don't love it, I like it a lot. And I was using that cross, uh, the rounding hammer and and John says i always look at your hammers i was like i don't want you to look at my hammers <laughs> like i've only made i've only made maybe 15 hammers and like i would say 8 of them i made them with John you know yeah uh, ariani and he picks up my hammer, and I'm just like, all right, it's ready for me to pack up now. I just unloaded my bag. He's like, I can't let John Williams look at my hammers. And he, and he looks at it, and he goes, oh, this is great. This is great. He's like, what did you make it on? I said, I made it on a tire hammer. He goes, on a tire hammer? He's like, wow, that's awesome. And then he immediately said, him, well, it's got a Jake Farum style to it. And he was very – it was very cool. It was cool. He was very like – and I explained. I say, look, I'm not in the hammer-making business. I like right. making yeah. – I like – the idea of making my own tools and he was super cool about it and there is something about forging your own tools you know making your own tongs making your own tools and that making your own hammers to me was a uh, is incredible enjoyment to me to the point where i will not sell my hammers and this is recreational for me making hammers shouldn't what usually was never a recreational a recreational occupation or recreational it wasn't a hobby you know Mm
1: -mm. no you would buy like back in the day you would buy like a heller hammer or like the different style um like the champion hammers those are like pretty collectible if you you follow ebay tools at all but i mean that Um, to me
0: now forging (laughs) the hammers to me is that's my i I love it it's
1: sacred, yeah.
0: There is something sacred about it, and I think that there's a lot of things that people do now, where they have the ability to create this sacred recreational thing that I don't think blacksmithing ever had at no. the level that it is now.
1: I think even like like yesterday, uh, Carrie and I sat out in the back behind the shop. I got like a little fire pit, and um, I always have like one of the axes, that, like one of the first axes I forged um, when I went through my axe craze there, and was forge and a bunch of them yeah. um that axe has got more miles on it than like i've hit it with everything like just like pounding it through logs and everything else like i just haven't held back just to see what it can take and that axe is unbelievable and it's it's just 4140 tool steel um but it's it's so cool like i enjoy using that and like so much i mean we have I have like a giant wood stove in my house that you could put like three foot logs in. And I have right. like my, my shop stove and I have a fireplace and then the fire pit outside. And um, we probably go through like seven, eight cords of wood a year. So it's like, like I'm really familiar with firewood and like do a lot of like splitting um, by hand. But uh, yeah, it is kind of neat. Actually, on a side note, my dad was in upstate Maine. And calls me up and he's like do you need a log splitter and I was like yeah I don't have one like I always did it by hand like when I was younger we used to buy like the log blank wood um, and I would you know I was convinced I was faster with an axe than I was with a, with a log splitter but right. you know being 20 is a little bit
0: different than being the age we are now. Yeah I like how but, you don't even say the age we are now. Yeah. You know, I'll keep, I'll, I'll keep it <laughs> save it for another episode. Yeah. Don't worry. Two years from now we'll be talking about it.
1: But he, anyways, he dragged home for free from Maine this little tiny like six ton log splitter. Um, this has something to do with blacksmithing. I'll just say now. Um, anyways, I threw it inside my shop. So it's, the shop stove is like it's a, it's probably sixteen inches deep, but it's like really made for like a fifteen inch like piece of wood. So you got to break up everything like pretty small. So it's perfect for that. Like I could just bust stuff up. But that press is so strong. Um, That it reminded me of um, that Willow Zeekman, uh, Willow the Whisper Metalwork on Instagram. I think that's her Instagram. She, I saw her demo at the New England Blacksmiths probably four years ago, and she had taken one of those little five, six ton presses and uh, fabricated like little, little dies on it, like maybe inch, probably three quarter. They're probably like three quarter inch dies. And, um, was like forging down metalwork with one, like just by just using her hands. There's no foot pedal. It's like you sit it on top of a bench and you just like go to work.
0: Huh.
1: Um, since then she's bought, like, I think she bought a power hammer, but, um, I was amazed, like, if, you know, just as a, as a cheap option for people getting into it. I mean, I know the, like the, those like. firewood presses aren't really designed for metal work and as far as safety goes and, how right. will you feel confident in like right. welding a die that you know is not gonna fly off and go through your body. Um, it uh it is kind of a neat option to build a setup something like that.
0: I thought about but, that. A friend of mine had a, a, a log splitter and then I was looking at it, I was just like, I could just change these, I could just make some new dies and all of a sudden now I have a press. Yeah. I thought it, about that. But at the same time it was like a gas powered one. I was just like, I ain't doing that. I run the gas all the time.
1: No. Well that's the thing about these is they're just it's just a little electric motor. Right. So you can like I can run it inside my shop and just like bust up wood and it's it's perfect for it. I mean you could have it in your house. It's um it's it's nice for that.
0: Back uh, to back to this idea that uh, you know, these are I, I think that the idea of these things being sacred. I've never I've only made one axe and um it was like a hatchet i made a hatchet i would love to make and maybe maybe we should do this at an acre camp if you want to you and i are going to be a maker camp We think about yep. it is i've thought about making i want to try to figure out i know my friend uh, mike johnson out in, out, in, out in the north fork made a uh, integral an integral hatchet where he i think he did it out of a leaf spring i got to figure out how that works what get, the
1: heck is that? Where well, you explain it to me.
0: It's that. like so basically uh, integral meaning that the it's like a full tang axe. So it's a hatchet where the the um the handle is forged all the way and they put two scales on the on either side.
1: You know what I'm hmm. talking
0: about? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's not like it's not like a big bolster, but it's like it's a, it's a hatchet forged out of one piece of steel.
1: Yeah, one piece of steel.
0: Um he told me he was going to give me the give me the directions on how to do that. I thought that would be kind of I always thought that you know that style hatchet would be a fun project to make. I know Yeah, that, you uh, basically
1: like just forge a T in a way and then right. for, forge out your blade and forge But I mean, how handle. do you do
0: it out of a leaf spring? You know, like
1: Man, all of a sudden it's like so tough. It's like it'd be cooler to do it out of mild and then just forge weld on that. Dip. Yeah, but
0: I mean, how would you be you wouldn't be able to the structure of the handle would be rough.
1: Yeah, it'd be too tough. Like that that spring steel is so Tough, like it's, uh, you know, yes, it's good for some things, but I don't know.
0: I would be interested. That would be that's one of the things that I would think would be a fun project to do is like because I mean you're also you're you're isolating and then you're you know maybe you're chiseling out parts and figuring out where the head goes and then forging down the other part. I don't know. Yeah, I'll bring
1: I'll bring a piece of spring steel. Like I've got I've got a bunch of it. I can cut up like something small.
0: But it, it it also brings me back to this idea. That, you know, you nowadays with construction, there are companies like Matt Harris. Matt Harris does beautiful railings, indoor railings, forged indoor railings. I had him on. We talked about his, you know, how he is a blacksmith and how he trained and he was an apprentice. And he has a really traditional background. In Yeah,
1: he's, he's high level. He, Matt is, but there
0: um... aren't as many, there aren't as many to facilitate the use of, you know, buying power hammers and presses. I mean, you have a higher degree of hobbyists buying this stuff than you do, um, you know, businesses, you know, yeah. Bi- you don't
1: see, you don't see like the older, uh, well, I, I can't think of an example of one like the Steven Bronstein's, the Kevin Mahollins, like people in my world that are going to, they're not buying a new coal iron works press. They're not buying right. an anyang. like they have their old machines that they bought. And, and they're fabricating
0: thing. They're fabricating as opposed to forging.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, no, Stephen and well, that's Ted a small do
0: both, do both, but yeah, that's a small. That's a small. I mean, most railing companies now are doing more fabrication than they are as a whole. I'm saying as a whole, as like a generalization, as a general, the general business of fabrication. Mm-hmm. They're you know. Unfortunately, and I know this because Fine Architectural Metalsmiths did it. Instead of having us, you know, forge pickets, they were calling up, uh, you know, uh, King Ar- Architectural King and getting that yeah. stuff sent to us. So there are, there are. I mean, that's a. The, the, once again, there's a company, King Ar- Architectural. No, 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 no disrespect, but I mean, that's they're filling a gap where forging in in, in the industrial setting isn't as cost effective. For people wanting to just snap some railings up before the right, you know, the...
1: especially if you need like you know fifty baskets to put in the middle of a picket, exactly. Where you could just like weld them in. I've got like a bucket of them in my shop, that exactly. Just given to me. So um,
0: it, what it, yeah. You were saying?
1: No, I was just like said
0: I had those,
1: um, but yeah, no, they had, they had like that that company. I know a lot of people that buy from them. Yeah, that, you know, just because if you're you're trying to like make a buck and. Flip stuff out. It makes sense. Um, I never like the idea of using their stuff because it's like I, I'd rather look at a piece and know I made everything in it.
0: Well, here's the interesting thing. One of the things that they do, companies like King Architectural, they're 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 they're, they're selling uh, items that might be of, have lost in the information. A perfect example are lamb's tongues. I've talked about lamb's tongues. Uh, for a long time, a lamb's tongue on mm-hmm. a railing is—it's the—it's the terminal point where basically the the cap rail goes down and then it goes over the newel post. It kind of makes a semicircle, breaks down, and then it starts to taper, and then it kind of swings back after it touches your newel post or something like that, and it gets—it looks like a lamb's tongue, right? Yeah,
1: it's the most common ending to a
0: railing. It is so fucking easy to make it's, I'll even tell you how to make it right now. And you can use molded cap rail too. So you take your molded cap rail and John, shout out to John Ledford, my man who showed me how to do this. And he showed me how to do it once. And I was just like, all I want to do is make lamp stones. So you take your lamp, ston- your cap rail, and then you cut a V, maybe six inches. So it looks like a fish mouth. So you're cutting a V inside that six inches. So you, you're you're cutting the inside tri- an inside triangle. Then you're taking your forge, you're full, you're forming it together so they touch, creating that 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 point. Then you're you're welding the top up, and then you're sticking in uh, uh, a piece of bar on the inside. You, you forge a bar to fit underneath, like you know all cap rails have a piece of channel to where the pickets go into or whatever. So you got to have a piece of bar that fits this thing. You forge it to fit inside that uh, that underside of the cap rail. You grind it off put it in the forge you can and then you can bend it like a cap rail like a lamb's tongue and it's the easiest right. thing in the world yeah. and it's it looks a gazillion times better than buying those fucking things that you have to splice together and it that never works and it's not the same as the cap rail you normally buy and it looks like it always those terminations always look like shit no matter what you no matter what you get and it was interesting to me because you know there's a lot. Of, there's a lot. Of, it's. It has to do with the information not being passed along, even towards not even just fabricators, but to, you know, the blacksmith. This blacksmithing concept is ten times easier and better looking than just kind of trying to splice in this piece of, you know, uh, cast iron lamb's tongue. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. And it's this. It's this lack of that. That understanding is the lack of information you pass along but the fact is is most people don't know what lamb's tongues are anyway
1: no they don't and the, you know the one thing that sticks out to me with lamb's tongues is the guys that you, when you see a blacksmith do it all the bends have a flow. Right. If you see a fabricator do it, they're just cold bend in it, and it's like you'll see like these hard flat spots where Yeah. Like, even if they try to scroll something, it's got like that flat spotted end, and you're like, Do you not understand like the whole reason like to do that? Is
0: there like, is you, do, you nothing, want to get rid of that. There's nothing worse than those S scrolls where they put it in a hospital, or maybe they didn't even put it in a hospital. Yeah. And then they leave that last half inch get straight. That.
1: Oh God! The last half
0: inch, last inch, that last inch, yeah. or an inch and a half straight—it's awful. It's like, awful. I can't.
1: I can't, even, I can't look at it. So, yeah. what's
0: the role of the modern day blacksmith? It seems to me—I think
1: it's education. I think like exactly what we did at like the when Carrie and I um, demoed at the uh, Rutland or Vermont State Fair. Like it's to educate the public about what it, what blacksmithing is now. Um, you know how you do it. Uh, Why you do it? Like, just you know, we had kids coming up to us and like you know watching us and asking us like funny questions and um and if anybody does want to demonstrate at their local you know event for anything like that, like we've done this like a bunch of times before and even at Maker Camp, like people you don't even need to have like a big project. People are only there for a minute; they get exposed to it and they move on. Um, Occasionally, you have kids linger. And ask questions and um you know i had one kid was like what are you making i was like i'm making a plant hanger and he screams out in the crowd like he's
0: making a plant hanger
1: (laughs) so funny
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i mean that's the form of that's the form of communication yeah but he
1: was just it didn't matter what it was he was just like he's making something and it's like it was just the fire and the coal forge and like um and the anvil and hitting with hammers it's like to a 10 year old so like the, you know, some of them, it's the most exciting thing ever. Um, and I think that's like, I feel like that's an important role of the modern day blacksmith is to, is to educate the public, um, you know, on what blacksmithing is.
0: I believe now more people are seeing blacksmithing than they ever had globally because of social media.
1: Probably,
0: I don't think because otherwise you got. You look at Animals in America, awesome book, everyone should buy it. It's drawings, you know. You're you're seeing drawings of what people are doing, and now I think there are more eyeballs on it than there mm-hmm. ever have been. And the role of the modern day blacksmith to me is to keep the ball rolling, is to kind of, and I'll also give these give give this craft some their due. I mean, you you think about it. If you think about what the blacksmith did throughout centuries and centuries, th- thousands and thousands of years, I mean, every sword that was made, every railing that was made, every piece of every jail, every chain, every piece of hardware, every th- the forks and the knives and the pans and the pots and the things that kept c- civilization going.
1: Yeah, even seeing um, when we were at the like the Tower of London and we went through like the dungeon with the torture stuff was all blacksmith stuff you know yeah. whether it's the iron maiden that you get like spiked through or
0: everything it was
1: all this crazy stuff i was like wow that's that's nuts
0: every nail that was made that used for uh-huh. construction every sword every every pant i mean let's i mean i said this before i'll say it again is i mean they didn't put jesus up with zip ties you know I mean, no, blacksmith had to make those nails. You know, I don't mean to be <laughs> rude, but I mean, let, let's face it. You know, it's just like there's there's this historical importance of this craft, and now I think the role is to keep the ball rolling, keep people interested. You know, and 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 be honest with you, I think that organizations like Abana and NEB they need to they need to keep up. They need to keep up with. You know, ride the wave. You know, mm-hmm. embrace embrace what could happen, and and figure out a way to make this get younger people involved, and to you know figure this out. You know, yeah. I think that it's a I think that it's a wave that is still very rideable, and it's great If you think about a business, you know, this is something that's been done for a long time. We just have to pivot. This, it, architecture might not be the first the, the main re, the main thing in blacksmithing anymore. Not the main one you know?
1: No, yeah. Maybe education through history. I think like what, um, the New England blacksmiths, like Bob Menard, um, who's going to be at maker camp, like helping out with the beginners and bringing all the equipment that NEB has. But, um, he was just, I think it was last weekend he posted in New Hampshire and Brentwood, New Hampshire. They do, I think he does once a month. He opens up their little blacksmith shop there, um, for people to come in for the day. Like, you know, kids, like young people, like, uh, just, like new to blacksmithing, like you can go down and you have um, Bob there to, you know, help guide you through stuff. You know, they've got like some coal forges and anvils and tons of tools to use. So you don't have to bring anything other than like safety glasses. Um, That's kind of, that's important. Like to have like those places like that to be able to,
0: to expose people. It's the best. And I, I'm very excited toward for the future, but I think that, you know, I'm I'm really I'm in the tank for Pat in the Center for Mental Arts. I mean, like that is you know I think that there's going to be a time where he's going to get that giant hammer going, and at one point it might be ten years from now, it might be twenty years from now, but he's going to be doing anvil classes. Oh there's, yeah,
1: for sure. There's just no they question. I'm definitely signing up for that. One. Oh dude, you and I are going to be going down <laughs> there.
0: You and I are going to be going down there together. We're going to take that. Yeah. anvil. We're going to make it, We're going to make it. I mean, don't start busting his nuts and trying to ask him when the anvil cl- class is going to be. As
1: I know. We but, have I mean, talked about that. Yeah. It'd be cool to build a forge one.
0: It's going to be, it's going to happen. I mean, that's the thing. It's, 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 taking this equipment. Right. And, and restoring it to, to what it was or what it could be. Mm-hmm. And then putting it in towards something other than what he said was that Canberra, they were making like crane h- hooks. Yeah. It's different now. It's different yeah. now, you might not need crane hooks well,
1: I don't know that industrial place that um is south of Pat is it west virginia i can't I can't even think of his name online um old the old world forge I think that's what it is. they're like an old industrial blacksmith shop, and they, that's the only thing they forge. I believe is the like the giant like hook for cranes. Like, at a 4140, and they heat treat them there and everything. Right. It's, that's pretty amazing that, like, there's still people, there's still a need for, like, a big forged hook like that.
0: Well, hopefully he helps kind of usher in this new... I mean, Blacksmithing has always had to make adjustments. I mean, you know... You don't. You didn't. The uh, the guy who was in the uh, Iron Maiden business probably had to pivot after torture was, you know, <laughs> yeah, know, wasn't as was was a little bit, you know, out of step. I mean, there there are obviously points in history where the blacksmith had to pivot, you know, from yeah, absolutely, from you know, arrows and torture devices to pans and nails and easy stuff. So obviously, this is going to be that next pivot, and what it's going to be, it's it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, I think it's gonna be applied to different mediums too, more so um than it has been before. Um but no, I think like to go back on Pat, I think he's definitely a man with a with a vision who's should is very important to um follow He's um, doing it right what he's doing. I don't think anybody could have bought that shop and had his vision in in his drive is um is really really amazing. Um, he's an amazing human being.
0: There's a um, thoughtfulness behind what he's doing that I don't think a lot of people would have. No. The idea of needing this, what, what? I think I interrupted you before you were going to say.
1: No, 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 go ahead.
0: The thoughtfulness behind getting a smaller steam hammer, smaller hammer. There was like the same you know, controls same way you would use it as the 3,000 pound and practicing on the smaller hammer to get your get everything down so when you get to the giant hammer with your five guys, you know exactly what you're doing, is so thoughtful. And within the perfect vein of what you do as a blacksmith is the concept of, and I think that a lot of people don't realize this, that forging isn't just hitting steel. It's having a complete understanding of what you're doing. It's about efficiency of what you're of, of technique. It's about the use of the materials. It's about understanding the, the maximums and the minimums and knowing every different step per, per heat. Yeah, and your for, order of operation is like critical. And um, that goes from making a bottle opener to, I would imagine, making an anvil. So, yep. what he has been able to do is to kind of really concentrate that thoughtfulness. And they're not winging it this, this weekend at, uh, you know, the 17th at the Cambrian Island Festival. They're not winging it. They're practicing. They're doing choreography. They're doing, they have a list of the different actions. The guy who's running the hammer knows what step is next. He's not going to call out and say, what are we doing now? You know, and I think that that's the most important thing that, that blacksmiths have to take away is it's more of a mindset. It's more of a mindset that you can apply to your life. And I mean, it saved my life. It saved my life. I don't think I'd be able to be where I'm at right now if I didn't use the applications of blacksmithing to just normal life of mm-hmm. discipline and technique and understanding what you're having, a complete understanding of what you're doing and don't wing it, winging it, wing it's for fools, winging it's suckers, a sucker's bet. I mean, obviously you wing it a little bit, but you know what I, you know, to get to that goal, I mean, a blacksmith knows how to do it.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I I mean, it definitely, blacksmithing definitely saved me at a certain point in my life, you know, um, it it is really incredible. And, um, I think that's, that's definitely why we like trying to promote it, Yeah, expose people to it. And like, I've never felt like it's a competition. Like if the guy down the road from me gets into blacksmithing, oh no, he's going to like, you know, sell stuff around me or, you know, it's like, it's. I think um, whereas in the past, maybe it would be, but I think it's it's exciting to see um you know the people getting into it and um just like like the local uh welding um shop teacher there, where my daughter took the class and I went there and met him, and um looked at his gas forges and the little like railroad spike type or uh, railroad tie and anvils and um it's cool that like kids are getting exposed to that stuff.
0: Well, I think any exposure is good. I was, uh, I was at a, I had a meeting yesterday and a guy asked me what I did for a living. I told him I was a knife maker and he goes, Oh, you watch that show fortune and fire. And I always immediately right off the bat, I'm just let out a little out kind of groan. but you know what? Yeah. God bless fortune fire because they're the ones who are helping keep it alive, whether you like it or not. They're the right. ones who are showing people doing this. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for any port in the storm in the situation, you know? Mm-hmm. What's next for Jesse Savage? We're gonna see you. You and I are gonna fool around Maker at camp. Uh, Maker Camp. Carrie's gonna be down there too. What yep. should we do? Let's let's. We got a little bit of fourth wall action. What are we gonna do? What I don't are, know. Like it
1: depends. Sh- it depends on whether or not Cliff and John can bring like their foraging press. Because I was right. thinking about making like a
0: splitting mall. I um, want to help you. I like it. When, yeah, you and definitely. I made that. You and I made a pair. Of, I'll bring the alligator tongs. Yeah, you and I made the alligator tongs last year. I'll make sure I bring those. That was the most fun I had, is you and I forging a pair of alligator tongs.
1: Um, I was thinking about making like we tried it once last year, but don't I didn't have it planned out enough. The um, like doing the like the old school uh, tongs where you just you know it's you know. you just like forge your flat jaw tongs to the end, and then hot cut it off, and then like forge weld it onto like round bar. Let's do it. Um, anything. Yeah, anything you fun want to
0: do. Anything I mean, you want to do. Uh, you want to try to do an integral hatchet. You want to try to. Well, you and I'll figure something out.
1: Yeah, it'd be fun to do. Yeah, for sure. I know I'm
0: going to be making friction folders too, and I'll probably you know, I'll probably yeah. I'll probably be forge. I'm gonna I I saw who did I talk to? I, I said you know. They're they're having us down there. The forge is going to be going. I'm going to forge. You know, I'm not going to have my kids, my my kid, and my wife there. I'm going to be forging as much as possible and being with you guys as much as possible. So, I will be forging. And they asked Cliff. I was talking to Cliff. Cliff says Austin wants to know our schedule, and I said we're going to be forging the whole time. What yeah, are you talking I about? I know when we we're I, down is, there.
1: You know the one nice thing about he, being somewhat held to a schedule, at least contractually like uh it's uh I like last year it's like we we did forge so much that I didn't really get around like and see people demonstrate right. too. Like I, I like i um uh what's the girl that's doing the glass?
0: Oh Andrea uh, De leon
1: Yeah. I wanted to see her and last year it's like I took the time to meet her, talk to her for a few minutes, but it was like I never never got to watch her demo.
0: And it's like Well it's because you know, we started to do, it was like a hammer in a John's and we just yeah, like, we're just, just, started we're, just was... that's, we're doing the same thing every single time we do it, you know? Yeah. So actually I'm going to be, uh, I, I'm going to be, uh, you know, Mark Adams who listens to the podcast, does the photographs, Mark Adams oh, yeah. pictures. Yeah. He's been talking to you for about a year about running a panel discussion. And I agreed to it. I agreed to it a year ago. And then he said, All right, we're going to do the panel discussion. I'm like, Oh, okay. What are we doing? What are you talking about? <laughs> so I'm running a panel discussion at Maker Camp with, I know that Josh Prince is going to be there and Andrea De Leon is going to be on the panel, nice. Keith Decent and Lear Potch. So I'm going to be running. I don't know if I'm going to be figure out a way to record it or not and use it as the podcast, but we're going to be doing the, I'm going to be running a, a panel discussion at maker camp, which ought to be fun. So yeah,
1: that's awesome.
0: Columbus day weekend guys. You should definitely go to uh, maker camp if you can. Um, I don't think that they have, I don't know ex- the extent of their housing, what the housing is. I can tell you this. One of the cabins will have me, John cliff are, you know, some, there's some wives and girlfriends and Jesse and there'll be farting and they're snoring and some people might not <laughs> get any sleep. But that's just no. the way it is. That's probably what happened John. last year. Way that's yeah. the way it is.
1: I think uh, I did talk to Keith Mitchell too. Shipwright skills, and I think he is coming because I think he's. Yeah, he's um, with Total Boat. Yeah, he's with Total Boat. So he might. He said he would probably camp out up at the cabin like he did last year. He set the his tent up outside.
0: One of um, us was farting, and, and John left and slept in his car. I always feel like <laughs> I feel like John sleeps in his car every year.
1: He, he he's generally grumpy about stuff.
0: Yeah, John's the man. John, yeah. The man. So, so we're gonna funny. see it maker campboy and have a good time. what else anything else
1: No, I think that's the big thing going on in my life right now is uh you know just starting to like gather stuff together and um you know throw things in a pile and prepare for I always bring more stuff than than you need, but it's, you never know
0: I'm trying to bring less I'm not bringing an anvil this year
1: uh eh, I am bringing. I think I'm going to bring the same too. I think the first year I brought that 300 pound Trent or hay uh, hey button that was
0: too much. I don't think I'm bringing any. I, I think I'm bringing. I'm going to try to bring less. I don't want to schlep yeah. an anvil. I don't want to schlepp an anvil. Just getting too old, man. Just don't want yeah. to do it. And you guys right. got to bring plenty of anvils. Cliff said, "Don't worry, we'll bring plenty of stuff." Last question for you: Will there be another episode of the Blacksmith's Pub with Rick Barter?
1: There will be. We're going to... Rick and I just talked about recording, so...
0: Very good. Always um, miss that guy. I Love think, Rick
1: Barter. Yeah, you know, he's not on social media anymore, so if people message him, he's like... Um, he hasn't deleted his accounts, but... He, he has? No, he hasn't, but he deleted all the apps to everything. Um, so he has no longer access. So if anybody needs to reach out to him... Um, Probably through email, or you can message me, and I can give you some contact information for him. Um, but no, he's uh, hes just doing his thing, farming. just doing his thing, farming. So, but we, you know, I do talk to him. Um, once in a while, so, I, I owe him a
0: text at least. Or I yeah. owe a phone call. I owe I Rick Barter a phone call. So I'm looking. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that the Blacksmith's Pub's going to come back. Well, you you always Jesse. You know, I always love catching up with you. So you always have a you always have a place to come if you if you if you're itching a podcast. You come over to you come over yeah, here. Yeah, it's, we'll
1: nice, it. it's nice that you've had me on this many. Oh, times. dude, you're I my friend. Who wants to hear from me? But I, everybody uh, yeah, wants yeah, to hear from a, you.
0: Yeah, dude. The, the listen cool. in terms of the modern day blacksmith, they're all listening here. They go, mother. I want to say those motherfuckers in Abana. I did say those mother. Those motherfuckers in Abana are they listening? They're posting about this podcast. They listen here. And, and with that That's said, good. Abana, get your shit together. Get your shit together. Ride the wave, man. I, I don't know who's from Abana is listening to this, but go give your phone and, and give it to your thirteen-year-old kid and have him post pictures. Stop it. Stop the. Stop fooling around. I'll just get start doing something, Abana. You too, <laughs> N.E.B. Bob Bernard. Come on, man! You Guys, got to do something. You know, you be the aggregate, the aggregate for for uh, for blacksmithing videos on Instagram. You know, do something. Grab these guys. If if if, if Riley Kirkpatrick's getting a million views, Ben Snover, all these guys start to start to post their videos. Be the center point. I want the Abana. I want the be the center, man. Figure it out. I love you, Abana, but get your shit together. That's good. That's funny. I mean, for God's sakes. You know, I'm kidding. Don't send me messages. I am with you. Just relax. I give you all this. I keep you company, Abana. I keep you motherfuckers company. Just be a little bit, you know, just take it. I don't want any messages. Just take it, okay? Jesse Savage, and that was me, Jeff Fader. Not Jesse Savage had nothing to do with that little last five minutes, but that's that's what you're going to get, okay? That's what you're going to get. Jesse Savage, blacksmith on Instagram. Jesse's my man. we he is my man. Jesse and Carrie are awesome. They are instructors at the Center for Middle Arts. They're great blacksmiths. And I'm very fortunate that you're my friend. Um I appreciate you and um thank you for coming on as always.
1: Yeah, thank you. I feel feel the same way. I look forward to hanging out with you and um all our modern forge group at the uh, maker camp and seeing everybody there. So
0: it'll be it'll be cool. You're gonna see me with my new reading glasses.
1: Yeah, that's, I've got reading glasses, too. That's really funny you said that. I've got them on top of my head right now. I have I just mine on, got on top. This year. You
0: know what I have realized? And this <laughs> is the, trying to get out of here, but this is the way it is. Yeah. I have been seeing blurry the last... I'd say foot and a half from my face. Yeah, that's for about exactly a year, as me. For about a yeah. year, and yeah, I always exactly. thought it was like dirt or something, or like my just my eyes were dirty or something. And then I went to get I got a fucking glaucoma test and stuff like that all the time. And the woman said, "Oh, you, how old are you? Forty-eight? Oh, yeah. dude, you got to get reading glasses. Get the plus right. one twenty-five, to 150s." I'm like, I got them. Just like these aren't going to work. I'm like, I got. Oh my god.
1: Old. Are mine 150 or 175?
0: Hey, If you're 150 or 175, man, you're my guy. I I, yeah. went to, I tried the 150s, and I was just like, I can, I'm better than this. And I got the 125s. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sticking with the 125s, and I'll grow. No, in the I 150s. don't know.
1: I just tried the 200s, and I was like, Ooh. <laughs> Oh baby, <laughs>
0: yeah. Jesse Savage with the plus 200s, my man. You're my hero. But you dude. know
1: what? Like, I've worn them under my welding helmet and been like, Wow, like that's cool. I mean, you're not really in that Quite that close, but it helps.
0: It's a a shocker to the system, ladies and germs. It's a shocker to the system when all of a sudden you think, (laughs) I got some dirt in my eyes. No, your eyes are, my wife said, no, it's not your your eyes are changing. (laughs) Your eyes are changing, junior, and that's just the way it is. Mm. (laughs) Senior, I mean. All right, guys, (laughs) listen to me. Listen, we'll see you at Maker Camp, Jesse Savage. Go check out what Jesse's up to, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right, thanks again, Jesse. All right, good talking with you, Joe. You're the best. you are this show is brought to you by the makery the podcast network for makers